Hello everyone, Eddie Smith here from Midwestern Marks, excited to be coming at you with chapter three of Lenin's Imperialism, doing the reading guide here. At some point, I'll probably start lumping a few chapters together um, because they start to kind of blur together a bit. But as for now, uh, each chapter itself has been important enough to warrant its own video. And chapter four on export capital will be the same way. And chapter three on finance capital, I thought was worthy of its own video. Um, we've been talking about finance capital a lot in videos one and two. Um, uh, video one was focused on industry, the monopolization and concentration of power in industry. Chapter two was focused on the monopolization of banks and the role of banks as an intermediary. Um, and Lenin mentions that the banks and industrial capital are going to merge and become finance capital. And that's what he's going to focus on in chapter three here. So Lenin says an increasing amount of industry is owned by the banks and vice versa. The banks need to find themselves in industry if they want to keep expanding their capital. So Lenin's going to go over this uh, through a series of stats, you know, um, looking at banking records at his time. But we know this has happened. The banking institutions are huge in the U.S. And um, the, the, the executives who sit on the boards of banks are all capitalists, industrial capitalists. They all have capital invested abroad. And, and the, the capital of that bank is invested in industry. Um, and that's what Lenin calls finance capital. And that's what's going to give capital its ability to expand and go abroad. And we'll talk about that more in chapter four. Um, so finance capital, the definition Lenin gives specifically is capital controlled by the banks that's employed in industry. So this is capital that's in the banks, right? Money in the banks that's being constantly uh, used to expand and invest in industry, uh, which then creates profit that goes back into the bank, of course. The whole point of all of this is to make a profit. Um, that's kind of how capitalism works. So this is um, the banks and the indu and industrial capital is going to monopolize, which is what Lenin talked about in chapters two and one. Um, and it's the same thing with finance capital. Finance capital monopolizes itself. The banks monopolize into these giant trusts. And these trusts control huge portions of the market. They control huge portions of, of society. They control huge portions of everything. It's what Lenin's going to call a financial oligarchy. Okay, so in 2013, Princeton conducted a study to see if the U.S. actually functions like the democracy we're supposed to be. And their conclusion was that we actually have an oligarchy. Our government and our entire system is dominated by a financial oligarchy, this combination of industrial capital with the banks. Um, and nowadays, that would also include like tech capital. And obviously, uh, the economy's changed. But it what hasn't changed is that the financial oligarchy still dominates, right? This this capital that's in the banks, that's constantly being expanded, um, that's constantly being used to keep capital active, to continue making a small group of people who sit on the boards of these banks and of this of these industries, um, insane profits. You know, people like Hunter Biden, uh, people like uh, Donald Trump's kids. You know, uh, people like that who are born into insane amounts of wealth, born with insane amounts of assets, sitting on uh, boards of companies that sometimes they don't even know anything about. Um, continuing to keep their capital active in the banks, you know, capital that's invested in industry that's caught up in the banks. Um, and of course, we talked about in chapter two, uh, the role of banks allows this capital con to continue moving, right? It never stops moving. Um, and the, and the, um, the analogy we gave for that is like online banking, because you can move your money around with the click of a button, you know, and it's the same for people 
um, who have huge amounts of stock and assets and uh, capital tied up in the banking sector. So Lenin's going to talk about a financial oligarchy, which is what's going to come to dominate society. Um, and he also mentions that this leads to a lot of uh, bourgeois theories of, for imperialism. So when you have a financial oligarchy that dominates, it doesn't just dominate the uh, production and it doesn't just obviously does dominate how production is carried out. Um, and it dominates what the military does and what um, how uh, the world's largest powers fight uh, to divide up the world based on trying to maximize the amount of resources that are available to the financial oligarchy who dominate the world or each country. Um, but this, but they also dominate academia, right? If you read Jane Meyer's Dark Money, the Koch brothers, the Olin brothers, these giant fossil fuel executives, people with insane amounts of capital, they're also, and, and the tech sector, uh, you know, companies like Verizon, US Cellular, companies like Disney also control a lot of what we watch. They, they control the media. And, and if you read Jane Meyer's Dark Money, they also control academia. So the, what we consider to be the best institutions in the, in the country, Yale, Harvard, um, the Ivy Leagues, uh, the rest of the Ivy Leagues, they all have insane amounts of donations from these these dark money groups, these Koch brother groups. And the Koch brother groups are like, all right, we'll give you a million dollars a year, but you have to hire right wing professors, right? You have to pe t hire people who teach Ayn Rand, Milton Friedman economics. And as a result, you have all these bourgeois scholars who are going to write theories of imperialism that don't make any sense, right? Um, imperialism happens because the financial oligarchy is trying to create more profit for themselves. So they're going to expand their capital overseas and try and, and try and dominate every area of the market. But if you're profiting off that, if you're an academic who's profiting off that system, you're going to come up with some silly theories for why imperialism happens because you're going to be blinded from looking at why it actually happens, which is private property and the monopolization of, of capital at the top. Um, so he, he quotes on page 49 of my copy, a bourgeois academic who calls imperialism a bad habit of the finance capitalists, right? And Lenin's saying, no, it's not a bad habit. It's a product of the system, right? This is always going to happen. You know, when you create a system of private property where people are always trying to expand their own profit and their own capital, they're always going to go to war to fight for more capital because that is the nature of the system. It's not a bad habit. And the only reason you would call it a bad habit would be if you're trying to defend the system, right? And trying to think around a way that we can stop imperialism while still having capitalism. And it's it doesn't work. Uh, once you reach the stage of financial oligarchy and the domination of the system by finance capital, there's no hope. I mean, there's no hope for not having imperialism. You're always going to have wars. And of course, of course, we've seen that now it's not giant powers fighting over who's going to divide up the world. It's just the United States um, financial oligarchy, uh, <clears throat> not just the United States, but the West, you know, NATO, um, the UN countries, um, these multinational corporations uh, decide why the U.S. military goes to war, when the CIA goes in and overthrows another government, when NATO is going to launch a bombing campaign on a super poor country to try and overthrow their leader. It's all decided by the financial oligarchy. And that's not a mistake. It's a product of the system that we live in. <coughs> so Lenin's going to talk about the mergers of banks and industrial capital for a while. It gets a little boring. He lays out a lot of statistics from Russia and Germany, and he shows how the banks are merging together into trusts and how they're controlling more and more of industry. Um, and he talks about how once they dominate our free market, once the trusts have full control, they can set prices. 
Um, they can do anything they want. They can uh, work together to crush workers unions. He talks about that. Um, so these oligarchies are going to work together um, in every way to keep capital at the top. Um, and we've seen that. Of course, we've seen that in the U.S. Uh, post 80s, you know, uh, during FDR, there was the movement which kind of created a labor aristocracy where workers were making a lot more money. I think the average McDonald's worker in 1960 was making like $100 a year, uh, sorry, $100,000 a year adjusted for inflation. Nowadays, they make about $20,000 a year. Unions have been crushed. Um, the U.S. State Department is a tool of finance, uh, the financial oligarchy. And they they essentially dominate the free market, right? There's essentially no free market anymore. Um, and that's what Lenin's talking about back then. And obviously, that's, that's remained true today. Lenin's going to make another point that I think is really good and really relevant right now, that capitalism crashes every six to 12 years, right? We know this. Uh, We've seen this recently, the dot-com crash in the early 2000s, the financial housing market crash in 2008, and now the corona um, recession slash depression in 2020. And when this happens, the giant financial oligarchies, the banks, the trusts, the finance capital, they have so much money and capital, they're either one, going to be fine and they're going to survive the crash, they're just going to take a hit, or they're going to have what they what happened this year and what happened in 2008 because they control the state they're going to have the state bail them out, right? Elon Musk got billions and billions of dollars in subsidies dumped uh, by the government into his company because his company heavily lobbies the government and the financial oligarchy that exists today controls our state department. So I think on av- er, t- in total, there were over $6 trillion of liquidity given to the financial oligarchy by the state department during the corona recession, right? Meanwhile, small businesses and the working class get scraps. The working class has gotten one $1,200 subsidy. And um, anyone who's worked for a small business knows that they're terrified that there's going to be another shutdown because places will go under. They're already hurting financially from the last one. And the, the bailout that the small businesses got, even during a global pandemic on top of a recession, was uh, was very minimal, right? And in 2008, they got nothing. The government just dumped all this money into the banking sector and into industry, uh, the, um, and they just let small businesses die. And so the crashes of capitalism, once you have financial oligarchy, are going to concentrate power at the top even more. And, you know, in, in 10 years, if we still have capitalism in 10 years, which I'm sure we will, we're going to have another crash. You know, and power is going to be concentrated even more to the point where Jeff Bezos finally hits his trillionth dollar or whatever. Uh, so I thought that was a really good point by Lenin and uh, really worth bringing up today as we're in the middle of the corona recession. Um, and Lenin's also going to talk about how under capitalism, under a system of financial oligarchy, you can't have a government that regulates it, right? Because the financial oligarchy is always going to control the state. And I mean, if anything's been shown to be true in the 21st century um, that Lenin wrote in this book, it's that um, our State Department features, uh, you know, the National Security Advisor was a weapons contractor. Um, Betsy DeVos is controls the state or controls the um, sorry, she's the education secretary, super wealthy oligarch. Um, uh, there was a coal executive and multiple uh industry executives who are in charge of the EPA, the FDA, um, the government's essentially been useless. And all it's been is a tool of capitalist expansion overseas and a tool to bust up unions um, within the US. Uh, 
So we've seen that that financial oligarchy and the finance capital has totally come to dominate the state. The state bails them out anytime there's a recession um, and the state does nothing for workers. And Lenin's like, that's also a product of the system. Uh, the financial oligarchy is going to control everything. You know, you can't just have a well-meaning government filled with AOCs who are going to monitor uh, the financial oligarchy and monitor finance capital to make sure it doesn't get too bad. Finance capital is always going to come to dominate that, which if you look at China, you could argue that the CCP actually has controlled the Chinese private sector and their finance capital. Um, China executes billionaires um, and they'll they'll have they'll throw they'll come and they'll take uh executives in the private sector and entrepreneurs in the private sector. For those who don't know, China's got a centrally planned economy, but they also have an enormous private sector. So they're communists with a huge private market and the Chinese Communist Party at the center just keeps close tabs on that market. They execute billionaires. They make them go to classes um, on Marxism if they hear that they're mistreating their workers. So you could argue that maybe China is controlling their financial oligarchy, but then there are those who would argue that China's not and that China's doing imperialism and that the financial oligarchy is going to control the Communist Party and the state eventually. And it's just another form of state capitalism, um, which 850 million people have been brought out of poverty by China since the revolution. So you can't ignore that. You know, I guess we're getting a little off track here, but but I thought that was worth bringing up since Lenin said financial oligarchy is always going to come to control the state. Will it come to control the Chinese state? I don't know. We're going to have to pay attention in the coming years here because China is getting huge and they're becoming a huge player on the global stage. So I'll leave you with one great quote from Lenin. We've been going for a while here. <clears throat> he said, under the existing rule of plutocracy, even the widest political liberty cannot save us from being converted into a nation of unfree people. That's on page 59. So what that makes me think of is how often in the U.S. the oligarchs trick us into fighting over issues that don't really matter, right? When was Roe v. Wade passed? The 70s? And abortion laws haven't changed federally in about 50 years, yet it's probably the one issue that people argue about in the United States the most, right? That civil liberty. Will you have, you know, does a woman have a choice to take that baby out and not have the baby? And at what point does that baby have a life of its own? And should it be illegal for the woman to do that? It's like the main issue we argue about in the United States. Meanwhile, Financial oligarchies dominate the news media. They dominate academia. They dominate the military. Uh, kids are being sent to the military to fight and die. <clears throat> um, there's been new sectors of the economy created based around just essentially debt. There's more debt in circulation than there is actual money. So there's a student debt crisis. You know, I myself have $82,000 in debt. It's, as Lenin said, we've become unfree people. We're in chains to the financial oligarchy, which dominates our government and dominates every aspect of our everyday lives. Not to mention we go to work for these people 40 hours a day, right? Unless you're lucky enough to work for a small business, um, which still you're probably going to have to work your butt off because that small business needs to compete with the financial oligarchies. Um, we become slaves, right? As we continue to fight over these small issues, over civil liberties, right? Over over social issues, gun rights, uh, um, what kind of logo we're going to put on a bathroom, you know, and not that those issues aren't important, not that we can't have those discussions, but that's liberalism, right? Let's argue about the, the civil liberties and these social issues. Meanwhile, all of the material wealth of society belongs to like five people who are also sending us into endless wars 
and trapping all of us in debt. And they also own your house, you know? So how free are you when a small financial oligarchy dominates every aspect of society? And the answer is not that free. And that's why a country like the U.S., <clears throat> which claims to be based on freedom, the only way to act, get true freedom is socialism, right? To destroy the financial oligarchy, move the capital that belongs to the banking sector and the financial oligarchy to the hands of the workers and let the workers decide what happens with the capital that their labor creates socialism it is the only cure to imperialism and it is the only thing that can make us truly free so thank you for watching imperialism episode or chapter three hope you're reading along with us or if you're not i hope you're enjoying the videos and you're learning i'm basically summarizing every chapter so so you can get a basic idea of what the book's about without reading it just by watching this. I know some people are, you know, people have dyslexia, some people have vision problems, some people just are terrible at reading, some people have insane ADD. So if you if you just like playing video games and listening to my voice and, and you feel like you're learning about imperialism, that's awesome. And, and that means a ton to me. So, so thank you guys for watching. Peace. Mm -hmm.